1: or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done.
0: Join your host, Rafael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching.
2: Hi, I'm Sifu Rafael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you, Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Thank you. I really appreciate your support. Today's guest is Andre Godfrey. He is a top assistant for the Broncos Women's Basketball Program as an assistant coach. Good morning, Andre. Thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today?
1: I am great. Excited about this morning.
2: Excellent, excellent.
1: So any way to get started.
2: Yeah, it's a great way, right? So tell me, yes. you are a coach. Tell me about how that came into being.
1: I, I would start off, I, I mean, I would go all the way back to you know, 12, 13 years old when I really started playing basketball and, you know, started late. You know, now they're starting at five or six. Mm -hmm. But it Mm -hmm. all started then when people told me I was too small to play basketball. This is just pickup. This is even before I started playing uh, in my schools, And so that motivated me. So then anytime someone tells me, even, you know, to this day, because I coach here and there, I've coached three years in a row before I really submitted myself as really wanting to be a coach. But you know, I had people that were telling me no or that you're not a coach or you can't you know you don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and so once i became i that just motivated me to just to thrive for it and just to push to be a coach and I was already a coach, but I wasn't doing it with a you know with a paper trail I used to say i wasn't being right. a, it was' an official coaching role
0: mm-hmm. so
1: um i I looked around for uh, coaching opportunities coaching opportunities. And then I found one that fit me with an old college friend of mine, a classmate, and and it's just started. So it it basically started because of people telling me no. So if you want me to uh, to to do something in this, in this life in this world, you just tell me no. You can't do it, and I'm going <laughs> to push for it.
2: That's great. I'm going to push for it. Yes, that's sometimes how you get a kid to do something. You tell them don't do that, and of course they're going to want right. to do it. You know. You've you've started coaching and it's become your life. So tell me about that.
1: Because I'm also, I know we're going to get into this as well. You know, I'm also a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. being a personal trainer and coach is some of the same the same thing. Because what happens is you're you're getting people to do something that they don't think that they can do. So when we started lifting some weight or or or, or, or shooting a shot. And they said, oh, I can't make that shot. I said, right, you can't make it now, but you will. Mm-hmm. But being a coach is, is helping someone to fulfill their dreams or their goals or their ambitions. And it's, it's a great feeling when you see them smile at the end when they struggle for so many days, months, or years. You know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. What motivates you to continue to coach and, and be a personal trainer?
1: I, like I said, people tell me you know that you can't do it or, you know, things like that. But, uh, what motivate me is to see people reach their goal, progress in life and to meet their goals. And for as, uh, uh, coaching, when you see someone didn't know how to, to dribble, you know, with their offhand, and then all of a sudden, they they able to do it. Like I, you know, I have one kid; she's probably one of the smartest basketball players I I know. For is like she can take a move that I show her, and she can learn it within fifteen minutes. Mm. So just that that motivates me to see them succeed, not just in basketball but in life. Because so right, even to this day, I'm still in contact with a lot of former players that I've coached in middle school, and high school to um, motivate them off the court as well. So that that motivates me to always want to be a coach because you influencing you're influencing so many people's lives that you don't realize. You know, and when I realized that was when a player's mother came up to me and she said, "I know that he's not going to your high she's not going to your high school, but can you stay in her life? Can you keep motivating her?" And so that meant a lot to me. So that motivates me, you know, even, you know, and I spoke to that young lady not too long ago, she struggled a little bit in her in her classes, but I said, Hey, keep pushing. Cause she I know she's smart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that motivates me to see them progress. It's, it's also
2: their ambition that they want to, they want to progress themselves that, that kind of motivates you. I'm sure it does. It does for me, because when you, when you have someone who's willing to do the work, I mean, yeah. that, that just drives you, doesn't it?
1: it, it, it pushes you and pushes you uh more than you know like subconsciously it's pushing you but i recognize it you know it's not just too subliminal but i i recognize it and i I work towards it Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so uh, andre you've you've coached and and of course you do um personal fitness as well but you've coached all ages what would you say is the oldest person you've either trained or uh, <laughs> coached in basketball?
1: Wow. Okay. The oldest person I have trained, like he's a celebrity from all my all my people that that's in contact with me and friends and colleagues or, that I've met. But I bring him up all the time. I started training him. Get this, at ninety-two years old. Wow. Ninety-one. Yeah. Ninety-one. Years old. And he's now 102, about to be 103.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: And, yes, we still train. Like, lately, last couple years, we kind of moved away from, like, strict weights. But at the time, I I mean, I pushed him. He was getting – he was bench pressing 25, 30 pounds, and I would sneak it on him. I would sneak it to him because we had these weights, but I learned I had to do it. And I would put the metal weights, and he would have 25. But then I would add the magnetic weight to the side without him knowing it. Then he was like, hold up. something." I said, no, this is it. And then he, a couple of times he noticed it and a couple of times he didn't notice it. But I said, you, this is waiting for What do you mean? I said, yeah, I put him on before and you did it. So you can do it now, mm. you know? So yeah, 102 and a half years old. That is the oldest client that I have.
2: Wow, that that's really incredible. And you know, the fact that he's 102 and a half and he's still going for it. Man, that is, yeah. that's incredible. He
1: walks around his, he walks around his neighborhood for like 30 minutes each day. He still does that, you know, because I, I haven't been able to see him. And they're not really, you know, he's not really keen on uh, WhatsApp or Zoom, you know, to do a virtual training. So he's not really good with that. So, but he just goes around and, and he walks at least 30 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's yeah. so
2: important to always train. And, and, you know, that that gentleman that you're training at 102 just goes to show that you cannot give up on yourself. You cannot give up on your body because it's your body that's going to sustain you. It's your body. You know, and and your mind as well. I'm sure working out for him has kept him mentally active and alive.
1: Yeah, along with the fitness, he's also, he reads a lot and he keeps himself mentally sharp as he can. Only last couple of years I've noticed that he's not as sharp as he used to be, but, you know, he's 102 now. So, Mm. but uh, he's very cognitive,
2: yeah. I hope that when I'm 102, I'm still, like, kicking over my head and everything else and swimming and and playing basketball. Let's hope that we all can get there. So, you know, you're you're also now, uh, are you teaching basketball to uh, women or men currently? Both. 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 Currently, back to back.
1: Oh, currently, currently, current. Yeah, kind of both because um, coaching college women's basketball, but then I'm also coaching boys AU basketball. Mm. We can, you know, you can kind of do that as an assistant coach. So that's why it was kind of, been a, it was kind of good because I can still coach, you know, just reach out to as many people as I can, and yeah, I do both.
2: That's beautiful. So, you know, you and I had a conversation already, and uh, I right. touched upon something, and you said, oh, I got so many stories, I really want to hear this one. What's the difference between teaching women and men? What's the difference between teaching them basketball?
1: Now, this is, this is tricky. This is tricky. And I've noticed this because when you, tr- when you coach a, a boy, he's, already, he's confident in his ability. He's he's confident in his abilities. He he knows I can jump. He knows he can make a layup. He knows he's confident in himself. What um, is tougher for a uh, young lady is a lot of times they're not as confident. Now, it's, it's good and bad because you have these guys, you try to talk to them, and they know it all. They're 12, 13, 14 years old, 15, and they know it all already. It's really it's really difficult to coach them. Very rare that you come across a young male that will sit back and listen as a, as a group. Like you might have one in a group, two in a group, but as a whole collective team, it's it's tough. Now with the with the young ladies again. Now if they get more influence of playing with boys or men, they're gonna start having those same type of mentality. So it can be tough mm. both sides. But for for, for coaching girls or women, a lot of times they will take instructions better and well and they will they will do it. With a the guy they will fight back because they was coached a different way. Mm-hmm. And they said, No, I wasn't I wasn't coached that way, so I don't wanna do that. They don't wanna open it they're already uh stubborn. Like for, <laughs> all right, for instance, right, I work with this kid, well he's was, he wasn't a kid, he's a little bit older He's a little bit older than uh, the average teenager. He was—I mean, he was—he wasn't a teenager. He was 21, 22. Mm. and a he man already. To work with him.
2: He was already a man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's already a man, right? But he, he, physically, yes, but mentally, no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and so he wanted me to work with him, but he had such a anger problem, and he had an anger issue, and and I didn't want to work with him. i i am not wasting my time. Right. I'm not wasting my time coaching. So uh, another young man that was a little bit older than him, he wanted to, he saw me working with another athlete that played and he saw the change. So I worked with him and that was like, they were rivals. So he saw me working with him and he found out that I was working with him. He flipped out. Mm. (laughs) He flipped out. He was angry. You know, this is stories he told me. And then he was like, he had to humble himself. Basically put his, you know, just come to me, humble himself, and say, hey, you know, I need your help. And that was, I I told him, that was big of him. So then, because he saw me training his rival and saw he got his athleticism back,
0: mm.
1: you know, in just, in just two weeks. But he was like, frustrated, he was upset, he was angry. So then he came to me, humble, and so we worked for like two or three weeks. And then I trained him for an uh, overseas tryout. And one, and the coach like, why are you going all the way up, uh, Westchester County to, to train with this guy? I don't even, you know, who is this guy? So then, you know, he comes back in a month time to do another, uh, training and he trying to figure out how did he get so much stronger in just a month time. So now he wants to, the coach now wants to figure out who I am and what I do. And so that was hilarious to me, but just to see his growth to say, Hey, he can show me something. I need to, you know, basically apologize to him. And and see if he can help me out, and he did it, mm. and he's he's doing it to this day now. You know, he, you know, I still you know advise him on certain things.
2: You you know to get acknowledged by another coach is is pretty cool, because obviously what you're doing is working. When you you're coaching women's basketball, and you say you you're currently coaching uh, a college basketball team, right? Which one is that?
1: Right. Oh, is Bronx
2: Community College? Okay, very cool. Bronx
1: Community College
2: in uh, the North Bronx. North Bronx, very cool. And when when you're you're coaching coaching them, how many how many women are you coaching? Let's make believe. Let's make believe just for a second. Let's make believe I know nothing about basketball. Okay. I mean, I used to play basketball, <laughs> and let's make believe I know nothing. So, how many women are on the team? How many play? And how many have to sit out, and who? How do you select who's going to play that game?
1: Well, you know it's a junior college, so we can carry up to really like twenty players, but normally we would carry twelve to fifteen. Mm-hmm. And how how that how do we figure out who's going to play that day? Normally we have a starting five, and that's a consistent starting five, but. Sometimes you have matchups or maybe the player didn't make practices or they just didn't give it the all. So maybe we want to give this six player the players, one of the players, two, three players on the bench. Give them a chance to start or start that game. Or like I said, it could be a matchup difference. You know, they could another team could be all small, but we need to play accordingly. So we might have to match them up for his height and size and quick. So it, it it all matters. It all depends on your team. What they did in practice that week, that you know, day before, and also the other team, when you recruit the other teams and scout them to see uh how they're gonna play, um, how many bigs they have. Bigs are like forwards and stuff like that, or or they play a four guard and one forward inside. So now we gotta start four guards and then one uh forward. So it, it, it depends. It has so many different variables. Mm-hmm. But the main reason is how that person's that player's attitude is: Are they working hard in practice? Are they listening to the coaches? Do they understand the game plan? So that's the main things that you that that we look for. Mm-hmm. That I look for.
2: So how many how many players play a game on your team?
1: Well, you start with five, but um, we would tr- we we definitely try to play everyone at some point of the game. That's how I coach anyway. Because you want to get your worst player some playing time with the starters and get them comfortable playing. Because you never know, you might need them in the near future. Or if a player gets hurt, now the rotation shortens up. So now that player is going to get five or ten minutes or half. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some coaches only play five, I mean eight, or something like that, at the most nine. But I think that's not beneficial to your team. Because you got to get everybody... A touch, a feel, of playing in a in a, a stressful situation. So when you call on them, they will be more likely to be ready.
2: H- have you noticed that some of your worst players, because they get the chance to touch and play in a game, all of a sudden step up?
1: You know, yeah, I've seen that, and it and you know it, it's little steps, and I had, that's from learning as a coach that you have to you know celebrate the small victory. So if they're, they never could make a left-hand layup, then they even attempt to do a left-hand layup in the game. They might they missed it, but they attempted to do the left-hand. Hey, good job. Keep working at it. It's going to go down. Just mm-hmm. keep practicing. Because they got to get used to practicing that move in a game. So one young lady uh, that I've coached all last year, and i trying to explain to her that you know she's not a three-point shooter. So when the ball is on the opposite side, side of the floor once you reverse the ball take a step inside the three-point line so the ball come back quick shot right there don't dribble because she, she couldn't she can't really dribble that well and i'm afraid of her passing the ball so i said don't pass don't just shoot it if the shot's not there take one dribble and pass it to a teammate and she wouldn't do it To i don't she's a smart young lady she's three five or, or above right but on the court is just everything is coming at her boom, 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 so fast that she wouldn't she wouldn't get it or she would just be stressed out.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: finally the last couple games she was she started doing it. And then I had to pull her aside. She would take the jump shot, she made it. So now as she made two or three in a row, I pulled her aside. I said, Now look, this was gonna happen. They're gonna start converging on you because you can shoot. Now when you pass the ball back to your point guard She's going to have an open lane. So you got to teach them in step. You can't expect all, all your players to know immediately.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, right. the fact that, you know, you're you're encouraging even on, on attempts is huge because everybody needs that encouragement. And and some people are just, <laughs> some coaches are just, you know, going to yell at, at, the, at, at them and then later on forget that those little words, you know, even like, oh, you should have done better. Right is going to hurt the person and that instead of saying, you know, that was a good try and that's, that's so much bigger than saying y- you, you should have done it instead of good try. You know, that, I think that's, that's yeah. huge on your part. And any coach who always encourages even when they've not done the job that was required of them.
1: Well, you know, I had to learn that because, you know, those little victories, I had to learn that as I, you know, coach over the years because those little victories are big for them. They're huge for them. And and the reason why, because if you get them thinking like, okay, because you can't make a shot that you don't take. It's a 50-50 chance that you're going to make or miss a shot. But if you don't take it, you're 100% that you're not going to make it because mm-hmm. you didn't even take it. So if, if you just take the shot, follow your technique, your form, what we worked on for thousands and thousands of times, it's a fifty percent chance that it will go in, and I never discourage if you're open or you got some space take the shot right if it's like a couple of passes take the shot i'm not never be upset, but I'll be upset if you take the shot with three people on you or you don't sprint back on defense. that that yeah that you can't have that mm-hmm. but I'll never be upset if you've taken a shot that's a good shot if you're open take the shot.
2: Make the effort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Making the effort you know. is, is huge. Y- you know, when, when I was a kid, I used to, I played basketball with all my friends and stuff. And one of the things that I stunk at was making that shot. So I decided uh, one morning, <laughs> I decided one morning to just go out there and shoot and shoot and shoot. And I probably shot for five hours straight. Right. And later on, I said, wow, I actually enjoy shooting. And then I started shooting, and I would shoot from different angles, different positions, as far as I could. And at one point, I started hitting the basket every single time. And right. there, was, there was nobody coming at me, so of course it was easy. But now when I was playing a game, I, I, I would hit better, but I would not be able to swoosh every single time. But when I practiced by myself, it was always a swoosh, and I was like, oh, I love it. And then when I play with somebody coming at me, it, it, it's a whole different thing because not only is the adrenaline there, but then you have somebody else kind of attacking you and you have to, you know, maneuver in order to attempt the shot. And like you said, it's a 50-50 right. chance. But when nobody's, nobody's in front of you, your chances obviously are going to increase. Right. So let me ask you with that. How long are your practices?
1: See, and that's the thing. In junior junior college a lot of times you can practice up to at least four hours. Mm. But it's no it's no time type of like on like the D two or D one is basically like, you know, two and a half hours, three hours at the most or something like that. But at, at my school, you know, yeah, we can do four, but a lot of times we we're relocated to two hours because we have the we have the men's team, we have volleyball at certain parts of the season. So, you know, that needs that, that facility, we only have one gym, mm. so uh, it basically comes down to two hours,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and then five or six days a week.
0: Do you
2: do you approach the practice with, um, we're going to do dribbling for this long, we're going to do left-hand shooting from this long, right-hand shooting, or do you even do left and right? And then do you do, like, you know, three-pointer shots for this time? Do you, do you segment your your practices?
1: Well, and this this is what I I from the negative came a positive mm-hmm. because when I was coaching middle school and high school basketball, we basically had only probably like an hour and fifteen minutes practice time. You know, I say an hour and fifteen, but it probably really came down to an hour. Mm-hmm. So I've learned through that and it helped me with college is and with the time frame is I would condense. Drills. I would I would put three or four skill learning drills into one drill. So where a player has to learn, has to know how to make the right, a, a good pass, either bounce pass or chest pass or overhead pass, jump stop, pivot work, and it all comes down to shooting or layup. You know, so I condensed the practice. and yes, I put time frames on them. You know, five minutes, ten minutes, okay, defense, fifteen minutes. But if I see that they're not getting something, I will add more time to it. And then we can always come back the next day and continue on with that part of practice that we stopped from and then go from there. But if I see that they're, that they're getting practice or that that, that drill, oh, huh, we'll move on. So that, that's helpful, that, that's been helpful. Even though I, at the time I was thinking that was a negative, oh, I need more practice time and come in on Saturdays and take a 9 to 12 slot. Now it's like, okay, I know what to do because I had to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, coming up through the ring. And then uh, the workouts where four or five drills into one and make it fun, change it up. But then also you have to repeat certain things that if they're not getting it, like if they're not learning how to box out, we're going to do this again until you get it right. So they don't like doing it, right? What are they going to do? If they don't want to keep doing it, they're gonna do it right because they don't want to keep doing it the next day and the next day and the next day. Mm-hmm. So then eventually they're gonna get it because they don't want to keep doing it. They want to do something different. So that's the kind of way I've I to trick them, trick my players and doing it.
0: Right. It's it's
2: funny that you say that because uh, I I think I read something or heard something yesterday where it was advice like for example, if you want to get a kid to do something, and there may be in the middle of having fun if they're on their Xbox or they're doing computer games or watching a show or something like that that they really enjoy and you say okay we got to go somewhere or go do something they they give you a fight and and one of the suggestions right. was get them to do something they don't like and mm-hmm. then then say okay let's go do this other thing and they will be so happy a lot of th- that that's so true what you're saying because you're motivating them through doing what sometimes people always start off with what they like and then move to things they don't like. But if you start with things that they don't like and then move to things they like, they'll know that it's either one, I have to finish the time if it's 20 minutes or if it's an hour, I have to do this and then I get my reward. So it's that reward concept that you're using and it's a, it's a great thing that you're doing.
1: Well, it it definitely helps. And, you know, like most of the time I would start off practice with some type of defensive drill and then I'll move into offense and then I'll move into a defense and offensive drill where you gotta learn remember the concept that you learn on defense now you gotta stop the offensive team and so maybe like a four and four type of drill or a two and two type of drill or a lot of things I've learned from like NBA coaches that was that was you know kind enough to teach me. Uh, certain things or semi pro uh players and stuff like that played and see overseas is that you know we would do this one on one drill full court or one person would have to guard everybody on the team like they would have to guard them all the way to half court the person that had the ball throw it back to the next person and then they got to sprint to that person close out and then they got to guard them the whole half court so i would do something like that defensively that will get the motor going, get the intensity going. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to play defense, you cannot play for me. I know it's an offensive age, but what I try to get these guys to know is, if you love the sport, you should love to play defense, because then you're going to get more opportunities the sport
2: You know, what, what What I'm thinking is that, j- just by the drills you're talking about, the cardio aspects of basketball are incredible, because in professional basketball, or oh, or really high intense basketball you really don't see out of shape people mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know you really don't see people who are out of shape and if they do they're the ones that are maybe they're incredible at sh- shooting usually everybody on the court is in dynamic shape
1: well that's funny that you mentioned that <laughs> so this is another funny story go for it um, i was hoping my former player was going to be on here but they they are in shape and a lot of them looking shape, but how are they taking care of their bodies internally? Mm-hmm. So I had a player, we was we was you know New York City in Brooklyn, we were traveling. We always you know travel on the you bus or the train to games, and I would try to keep them on the bus because then you don't have to worry about them falling off the edge or they you know they're on the bus right. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one particular time we we had to go on this train, and one of my starters was eating potato chips before the game. And I'm like, what are you doing eating potato chips before a game? You know, they all know the, you know, I've told I talked to them about it, you know, the cramps and whatever. And she's like, I'm good. So funny thing was she, she was eating it and I boom, wheel the train, I I knocked the playfully knocked the chips out of her hand. And she just looked at me, went back in her bag, got another bag of chips. I said, Oh well <laughs> So she <laughs> eats the bag of chips. She eats the bag of chips, oh my goodness. So now this is like the first half first half or the second half, and she starts cramping up, right? She starts cramping up like crazy. Mm. So I said, listen, no, lay on the floor, stretch it out, massage it, so I had another player do it. But then the next day in practice, the next time we practice for the next, no, the next game, the bananas that they turned away before, they they knocking me over to get the bananas this time. (laughs) Because they didn't want to cramp up. Everybody eating the apple now on the bus, you know, (laughs) He's like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, they were still eating not so good outside the game, but game day they would eat healthy, you know. So that was a kind of change and funny story about that.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to eat healthy, especially when you're going to be running, you know, for, for so long. Do you incorporate fitness while, I mean, of course, they're running up and down the court, but do you also incorporate strength training while you're doing your practices?
1: Oh, yeah. Like when I really... First started. This is before I I coached in middle school. Then back into college. I was coaching at a college up here in Westchester, and uh, actually not too far from where I live. And I I was training them, but I was also like assistant coaching for like individual drills and all that stuff. So I would train them in summertime, off times, whatever. And the head coach came up to me. He's like, "Hey, Andre, now you did a great job. So we we talking? We mean?" He said, "This player." And uh, we used to call her Shaq. And uh, I forget her name was Shaquille, Shaquille or something. Uh, I forget her name. Um, but we used to call her Shaq because she was tall too. She was like six four, six five. Mm. And she would get the ball knocked out of her hand all the time going up for a layup. So then now during the season, she goes up, boom, she gets hit on the arm, and she makes a layup and she gets the and one, the foul. So that was all those weeks and months that I had them push doing push ups, pull ups, squats, core work, all that stuff that they didn't like to do, but it made them a better player. So yeah, I, I definitely incorporated it and we set aside three days, at least three days a week. Some players ask me for more. Um but I said if you want more, you gotta actually stretch because that's most that's most important, uh flexibility. So yeah, I definitely incorporated and we do it for at least at least an hour. You don't need to train some guys. You see him in the gym for two hours. Your ATP energy system cannot take two hours in the gym. It just cannot. They they're fooling themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you do a good forty-five minutes or an hour, the proper rest time, or sometimes you might need more. That's that's good enough. So yeah, I incorporate that. That's that's right up my alley, and that's something I think I can that improves my stock because I'm twenty, you know, twenty-seven years as a personal trainer, and then twenty years as a basketball coach so that helps that's a good marriage
2: like right that oh absolutely you you know you mentioned something and, and a lot of people don't realize how critical stretching is i mean i'm a martial artist and people look at me and they're like oh, yeah. you're so flexible i'm like i never stop stretching but one of the the right, things that right, right. people don't realize that stretching is so critical for any sport and people because you know when you watch a game on tv you don't see them stretching, you know. You don't see what happens behind the scenes. So stretching, right, like right. you said, is so critical, especially to be a top athlete.
1: It's number one. It affects it affects all other attributes of fitness more so than those other attributes affect it. Flexibility, stretch. It, it affects speed. It affects how strong you can be. How much your development is going to be. It, it affects your cardio because if you sit, how much how much longer will you be able to run? so it it affects everything
2: do you, when you you do your your um training do you do you start with stretching and do you end with stretching
1: uh, I do both so normally if you know we're a time constraint or if you you pay me for an hour and a half I'll do an hour and a half but if you only pay me for an hour I'll warm them up then I'll give them at least a fifteen minute stretch fifteen twenty minute stretch so I ask them to warm up before before they before I get there, you know, you know, like in a regular situation, mm-hmm. or if I'm if I'm doing virtually, they know to warm up before we start, and then we will stretch or something. Like we're doing it virtually, they will they will warm up and stretch before we get on the call. But if I'm doing it in person, they'll warm up and then they want me to stretch them because they know I'm gonna give them a, a very good stretch. I like that. I like the the. Some people need a dynamic stretch and some people need a static stretch. Static stretch is where, you know, you holding that stretch for a minute or more and then that that, that active stretching is basically like you're doing like a little lunge just to get your bodies loose. You're just moving your arms, getting them loose. But most people are so stiff that you need those static stretches to hold that that stretch and then that'll help elongate the muscles.
0: Mm-hmm you
2: know a lot of uh, athletes are incorporating yoga or pilates or martial arts into their their routines what what is your thought on on, on all those other activities
1: uh, pilates and yoga those are great those are great those are awesome um but at the, at the same time though an athlete they can they can do that There's nothing wrong with it but athletes they need specific stresses they need like if if their hip flexors are tight, or the glutes are tight, they need those specific stretches and 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 lean on those stretches for a little bit longer. Because when you do yoga, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna stretch out the hips and the hip flexors, but how long are they gonna stay in it? They might need longer than a few minutes. You know what I mean? They might need to come back to it and hold that stretch. So a combination of both is great. And and, and
2: do you also do assisted stretching?
1: Oh yeah, that's 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 what I mean by the static stretching because. I would be the one holding it. I would be the one holding their leg up and making sure that their hips in the right place, everything is their back is on the on the floor, the head is relaxed and let and, and it's better to have someone stretch you anyway cuz now you can relax into the muscle instead of like, okay, I got to use some strength to stretch. You can just relax into the stretch. So that's why that that is even better if you get someone to stretch you. so I, I definitely see that. You you
2: just said the most critical thing. Relaxing while you stretch—I think that is so critical. A lot of people think stretching is is painful because they're not doing it right, right? Or they don't have someone guiding them like you,
1: right? Well, you know, you might need you might need to feel a little tug, but it's not where it's like pain, like you are like, oh man, like my leg is going to snap or something. But you do need a little pull where you know you're really stretching, but not where it's going to get hurt. And that's why the warming up is key. When I was uh, teaching health and physical uh, education, I would I one of the um, examples I gave my kids and I was like a homework assignment was take a rubber band, put it in the freezer overnight, typically like a Friday to a Saturday, and then tug on it and see how long it takes to break. Some kids did the video, pictures and stuff like that. So that was dope. But then they can see, that's why you don't want to wake up. Okay, I'm gonna go stretch. No, you got to warm up, walk around the block or sometimes or something like that, or jog and then stretch. You got to warm it up.
2: No, it's like you said, it's important to stretch while you're warm. A lot of people think that, oh, I got to just start stretching. And and that's when they start pulling ligaments and muscles and so forth. Right. Exactly. So, Andre, what does it mean for you to be a coach? I mean, you've been coaching for 20 years. What does it mean?
1: Ah, What does it mean?
2: What does it mean to you? Um,
1: (laughs) What it means to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, what it means to me. I mean, I've had I had so many. No, of course you're gonna have some negatives, but I had some so many more positives. Where I've had, I had kids told me that that I was a, I was like a father to them. Hmm. You know, I was the only father figure that they had, or that one of them considered me their father. You know what I mean? And then, uh, like towards the end of the school year, when I was coaching middle school and high school, you know, they told kids, "I want you to write something, you know, in approval, something positive." about your favorite teacher. And you had to pick someone. And and a couple of kids that picked me each year, they talked about how much they appreciated me pushing them. You know, we couldn't have done it without you. And then now, and then I had another kid, it was like, some of the kids will not listen to you, but I was listening. How do you want me to be a better player, a better person and things like that. And, and, it, and it means a lot because that means, because sometimes you think that you're not being heard and the players aren't listening. But they're, you know, they're listening, and 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 some people are listening, you know, because it's it's amazing when you get people to talk about you in a way where they said, uh, why why are you still training? One um, mother had asked her daughter, uh, they older, you know, adult, why are you going back and training with him? He said, well, he is a great trainer, but he's a better person. Mm. So that meant so much more to me than just training and just because and and, when I first started training started training probably I was 18 years old and uh in between summers trying to stay in shape all the sports and stuff and first is about the money like oh I got to make this money I want to I can make this but then you see how many how the relationship builds and just out of nowhere a lot of my great friends came out of training and personal training and they they talk about me at their dinner time. They wear my little promo T-shirts and stuff. Everybody wearing it. Take a, a family photo. They talk about me when they <laughs> one one mother, her sister. They both were pregnant like a month apart. And so the youngest one, no, the oldest one, she went into you know labor. And after she gave birth, they say, "Man, you did a great job at you know delivering that baby. It only took like thirty minutes." And da da da. She said, "Well, because I have a trainer and his name is Andre and." And he pushed me, and, and I'm like, this is when she's giving birth, and she's talking about me. Wow. And so that kind of like, <laughs> I, can, I can really affect some people's lives. And so it, it means a lot. I don't take it for granted. I don't, it means a lot to me.
2: It, it does. It does. When you, you impact someone's life. I was doing personal training back in the 80s and 90s. Mm. I mean, I still do personal training, but back then I had a gentleman, and, and he was very honest with me. And he said, look, uh, I have AIDS. And are you okay Mm -hmm. to train with me? I said, absolutely. I had a studio in my house at the time. And I said, we just have to take precautions. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, we got to be careful with what we do and how we do things. Great, great gentleman. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, he passed after like three years of training with me, but he trained with me about four times a week. Mm -hmm. And his mother is the one that called me and told me. Because I I was like, what happened? You know, I called and his mother, I left a message and then the mother called me back. And she said, look, he adored you. He thought you were uh, incredible. The fact that you were able to train him and you had no qualms about, Mm -hmm. you know, his condition.
1: Right.
2: She goes, I want to thank you so much. My son was, he, he loved you training him. And he loved the fact that you were so open with him and that you were so giving, Mm -hmm. and you helped him live longer. Your training, what you did for him, helped him live longer. Mm -hmm. So she was so thankful, and I was so thankful for that message. Not everybody appreciated what people went through when when they had this terrible disease, and it's still going on, obviously, but, you know, thank God for all the medication and all the discoveries and everything that's that's happened that's helped so many people. But when you get that response, right. I mean, you had it from a woman who's giving birth. I had it from a gentleman's mom who passed away and and she credited me for helping him live longer and a better life. I mean, we touch people in so many ways. We sometimes don't even realize it. I am sure you've trained people that you've never heard right. I have, yeah. how you've affected them
1: right, because right, maybe right, they right, lost
2: right. touch or something like that. But I think that as a coach, a trainer, we impact people on a daily basis. And sometimes we just don't hear it. Obviously, you are impacting a lot of people's lives and kudos to you.
1: And, and you know, another thing, a couple of other things, too, when I really found out how impactful I was as a coach, you know, I was coaching middle school at the school in Brooklyn. And I'm still in contact with those players to this day. But so I told them, I said, listen, once you're on my team and you go through the wars with me, you're part of my family. Right. But After that eighth grade year, they graduated now. They're going to college now. But after that eighth grade year, I didn't know this until that summer. But they had petitioned for me to be their their high school coach. They were going to be the first year at this new high school because it was was like a charter school. So they petitioned, one of my players petitioned Mm. and got everybody to sign it, people in school, uh, to be their head coach. And then uh, more recently within the last year, the it was a head it was like the head manager or coordinator of this AAU up uh a little bit further north in Westchester in Harsley, and he said, Hey, you know, I had to make a few changes with the roster. I said, Why? He said, Well, because it was a lot of players and parents. I've never met them. I've seen their kid twice. But I've never really met them sat down and talked with them on this, that and the third. But they wanted me to be their coach, so that that means a lot to me. Like, wow, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt, what what coaches um, have impacted your life?
1: Wow, I'm glad you asked that question. I know you say coaches, but I I, I mean just people in general.
2: It could be mentors.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, my my father, uh, William Godfrey. He he's my he was he was he still is my mentor. I mean, he passed away recently, but Just his hard, yeah, his hard work, his hard work. Sorry
0: to hear that. He
1: never complained. Um, He would get up. He worked two jobs up until probably mid to late 40s to get what he was to support us and to get the things that he needed and wanted or whatever. My grandfather, Joseph Williams, he he was like the the symbol of patience, (laughs) you know? And so that changed the course of, you know, my life because Mm. he... He taught me, like, you got to let things go. but When something happens that you can't control, you, you have to move on. And then my personal training mentor, uh, his name is uh, Miguel Charles, he he was so tough on me. He was so hard on me. And we, we didn't have a great relationship in the beginning because I'm like, yo, this dude is, like, crazy, right? he chasing chase me around the gym, make sure I had proper form and technique and, like, get me crazy. <laughs> but I learned. When people would be like, No, oh, why uh why why are your boss looking at you like that? I thought, oh, he just crazy. That's all he's crazy. So he I did what he asked me to do. He told me to make him to be the bad guy. He's like, I can take it. So I would make him be the bad guy, but he made me a better trainer by mm. making sure my client had the best form and I'm I'm a stickler for that right now. And then another uh person would be Jeff Rulin. He was one of the coaches that I worked with, um worked with me. Um, he was an NBA uh, great from his record school, you know, first four years of double-double. So he's, uh, I think he's a scout now for the Wizards or something like that. But I still, I stay in contact with him. And it was something I, I told him, well, I promised myself that I would take him and another coach out for lunch, you know, just for appreciation once I made it and did what I was going to do. And like, you know, and eventually I was able to do that a few summers back. And that was nice. They didn't even know why. They say, hey, "Yeah, just come to you know, come to lunch. You know, I want to take you to lunch or dinner, or whatever." And then the late great uh, Kobe, even though he was influenced me from afar, but just his again, his work ethic was like mine, and his hard work, and you know, you're not going to stop me attitude, and just the way he was able to mimic everything just by looking at it. So I think um, I don't think I was as great as him for his mimicking things, but I could mimic certain things and. And make it similar or just not just in sports but in, in life. So those people really influenced mm-hmm. me. Um, I have other people as well. My, my my brother, older brother, Joseph Godfrey, my mother in some form of because she was you no know, different from my side of the family, Roberstein, Irving, but for the most part, those were the people that really, really influenced me. If I miss I didn't say anybody, it wasn't out of disrespect, just those you know, that I think about regularly that that helped me out, helped me be the person that mm-hmm. I am, the trainer that I am, coach that I am. Oh, yeah, uh, Coach uh, Scott Rizzo. Um, he was, like, one of the first influences. Because I had a I had a horrible high school coach. <laughs> so I didn't really start really learning the game of basketball until I got to college. Yeah, Coach Scott mm-hmm. Rizzo. I think he's coaching in uh, Cincinnati, I think, now. But, yeah, so those those are the people that really, really influenced me. Mm-hmm. Just like I said, for the person I am, the man that I am. You know, any
2: great person is, is not there by themselves. They're standing Definitely. on the shoulders of giants. So it's, it's important that we, we acknowledge all those people that helped us right. get to where we are. And, and you know, our perseverance and, and anyone listening, just do it. Don't, don't uh, wait till tomorrow. Right,
1: right,
2: right. Do it now. Uh, a lot of people procrastinate right. on on what they should do sometimes it's just a matter of writing it down and 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 it's okay to procrastinate or maybe it's not really procrastinating but right. really thinking it out and sometimes just writing it out will give you that process you need to be able to get it out there and maybe just sharing it with one or two people until you actually you know get the nerve to really go for it but, you know, for anybody go listening, for it, yeah. just go for it. And I mean,
1: like, I love when people, like mm-hmm. I was saying before, how people, you know, doubt you or something like that. You know, uh, another great story where I was coaching my Brooklyn team, high school team at the time now, since for a year. And we went to a school in Manhattan and they were like, they looked at us coming in and it was probably like, I, I, probably our best player was probably like, maybe like a little bit taller than me. I'm not. That tall, I'm like five six at the, at the most, so my best bet is like five seven, five eight, so they looked at us, and I had like a little four eleven guard, and they just looked at us, so when they uh the game was starting, they went and they huddled like one, two, three, dominate, and they're gonna dominate us, and they didn't score until we scored our twentieth point and and so you know what I mean, mm-hmm. that's why you can't judge a book by its cover you you know you gotta take every opponent as an opponent and don't look at them as less than, but just because they look different or they're shorter or they talk, you know what I mean? doesn't matter. That's a, that's a, a great way to look at things.
0: It, it absolutely
2: is. You know, the the way we, we look not only at outside, but the way we look inside of mm-hmm. ourselves is critical because that's, what's going to elevate us. I, I think w- when we think of elevate, we need to elevate ourselves before
0: right. we can look out.
1: Right. This is wow you you definitely have to learn about yourself before you can aid anybody else. I, I know my I know my my faults and I know my positives. So you have to mm-hmm. learn that and try to minimize your faults as best you can. You know, we all humans are going to make mistakes, but you have to learn about yourself. If you know that you're you stand off is sometimes, you you got to own it. You, you know what I mean? If you know that you are a, a stickler for whatever, you got to own it. Like, yeah, I am, but I try to be better at it. So, you yeah you have to own it. Mhm. You do. You do.
2: Andre, who who's your favorite coach professionally? That that you see either live or on TV, who's your absolute favorite coach?
1: Absolute favorite coach, I would say it's not because I have a bias. Everybody know I am a a Lakers fan, Kobe a Kobe Lakers fan, but I would say mm-hmm. Phil Jackson and it's not because of his Xs and Os. It was just that how he was able to reach to every player you know he was and I was I was trying to steal some things as a as a player as a coach you want to steal certain ideas give them their credit for it but you got to. that's how you get better but it was the way he approached the game and he if I can get the lesser player to be on the same accord as the, the, the stars then we can win a championship if they're on the same mental wavelength so it's not all just about basketball and how he delegated his uh, work to his uh, assistant coaches and and things like that, and I, I just think it was just me- just getting able to get these big egos in the NBA to work together, even if it's just for a series or a game. It's it's amazing because all these guys are millionaires. Why do I need to listen to you? Why? Because you're trying to win. And most coaches are going to know more than mm-hmm. most players most most of the time. Not all. So I would say feel
2: exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. And he is a great coach. I mean, like you said, he gets but everybody involved.
1: I think you coach the way you feel that you should coach or you should train or, you know, you go by your feeling. A lot of people go by stats now and analytics, but you got to go by feel. And if I if I see a player and if I see that they're, they're on a good, they're on a good wavelength, and they're able to uh, do what I ask them to do. I might leave them out there, even if they might not be a good offensive player or a good defensive player. But that day, that minute, I feel like they can do it mm-hmm. when it comes to especially coaching. could you have done something differently? Yeah, you know, you need to hear there. But, you know, we all want to win. My first real winning experience came. I was coaching at a camp, and – I think that was one of my best coaching jobs. I you know, you had to get ten players and so, you know, I really only really wanted to play eight and lucky enough the two players that I didn't want to play just <laughs> they, they just didn't they weren't ready. They had other things to do. So I'm like, Okay, good. That that got my rotation down to eight. So I was good. But I I learned to see what the kids really what what motivated them and I pushed them to be better by calling them out. Like, hey, do you want to lose again? Some people are like, oh, why would you do that? Why? You know, I was just testing. they like, no, I, we want to win. And I said, okay. And we lost our first two games, and then we won the rest. You know, I did some, you know, good coaching, and other coaches didn't like the certain coaching and, and warned me about certain things, but then I warned the rest. And then that helped us win because we couldn't stop a big man. I'm like, listen. Um, This big man, they're trying to keep me in for four quarters because in the camp, you got to play everybody for more than three quarters. So, but I had I to. that's what a coach does. You protect your players and and it helps you. If you can remember those, those learning experiences to be a better coach.
2: Everything that we've done has brought us to the place we are now. We always have to see also not only where we are now, but where we want to go. And that comes to you. What would you like to accomplish? And what would you like? Two questions. What would you like to accomplish? And what would you like to see happen with the sport of basketball?
1: What, what I really want—I want to accomplish is I want to—I want to be a head coach. I was this close to being a head coach, just not too long ago, and it wasn't meant to be. And I didn't take it as a negative because now I was able to coach um, AAU basketball during the summers or whatever. Because as a head coach, you can't—you can't coach AAU basketball. So. Being a head coach and the main reason why I want to be a head coach is some people are like, Oh yeah, the power and this and this. no no. It's because yeah, you have the power, but I can I wanna be able to influence or to aid and change in someone's life. Before it's like giving a person a chance to be my assistant coach. That probably they wouldn't have got an opportunity or something like that. That would change their life and then they can help other people out, right? So then you get three coaches and then you change in people's lives. And then also you're able to change a child's life because you're going to offer them a scholarship to go to school that their family couldn't pay for. You know what I mean? So that, that is what I, I, Mm -hmm. what I want to do. And that's one of my goals is to be that head coach. And what I would like to see, especially in a D one level, um, sports, uh, especially basketball, but in sports in general, is I want to see that the athletes get paid because, did you, I don't know if you've seen how the NCAA backtracked on making those video games that they was making for college football and college basketball. Immediately when they said they had to pay the players, they immediately pulled that. But they still should be paying these players because mm-hmm. they're selling their jerseys and now a player will get in trouble for selling his own jersey. We're getting paid money. When a person comes in from the store, college campus store, and they buy that jersey with his name on his, on his back, but you're not giving any of that proceeds to the players. They get they get money from TV because of how well those teams play. And I don't think the coaches play. I don't think the administrators play. It's the players that are playing. So then they win in championships. They win in games, of big uh, tournaments, Then they get, hey, the next year they get a bigger TV deal. So why shouldn't that money go to some of these players? They say, Oh, well, you're getting a free scholarship. Yeah, but some of these players they got the free scholarship but they have nothing else. They they need money. And it would it would it would eliminate a lot of other negative things that happen Mm -hmm. if they pay these players. I'm not saying like
0: Mm
1: -hmm. a lot, teams and multiple sports, so that's a lot of money but you got to give them something because then it's gonna make that player want to be at that school even more
2: a, a little incentive thank you so much again for today uh, i really appreciate your time i know how valuable it is any any last uh, advice as a coach that you would give someone who wants to become a coach a basketball coach or any type of coach uh
1: i'm i'm going to i would say the advice that someone gave me is to be yourself now that, that, that doesn't mean that you can't learn and to uh, shape yourself differently and to be a better person and coach, but be yourself organically, be yourself and people will notice and let your skills, like this goes back to what my personal training mentor told me, but it goes for anything, but let your skills show through because people are going to see it. Last thing, everybody from my last, from my coaching staff from the last two years ago, they got fired because the team was horrible, horrible record. But I was the only lone on because of they saw my hard work. They saw if there was only two players at practice, I was still there. So, you you know, sh- sell yourself through your skills, through your hard work, and people will take notice of it. So be yourself mm. and sell yourself through your hard work. Not just, not by me.
2: And, and it will show. Yeah, your hard work will definitely show off. Definitely. Andre, thank you so much. You have an incredible day. And uh, go win some championships, will you?
1: Hey, Rafael, I appreciate you. And um, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Now,
2: thank you. You're going to keep me posted, right? Especially when you get that big, oh, yeah, big uh, promotion to being the head coach.
1: <laughs> hey, I, hey, I might send you some tickets away. I don't know. You
2: know? I love that idea. Definitely. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back when, when, when you are the head coach. I would love that. And talk to some players as
1: well. That'd be definitely. cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, i definitely keep in contact with you and uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to make that happen. Perfect. Have a great day, buddy. All right, you too. Thank you. All right, you got it.
2: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee, make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me
0: backslash Thank you and I really appreciate your help.